Hello, and welcome to episode 121 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. I hope you will join me for a free webinar that I'm partnering with Sweet Process on. We're going to talk about how to document your work processes so you can more easily delegate, hold team members accountable, and onboard new employees to existing processes. This webinar is happening on Wednesday, September 23rd at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. And if you can't join live, that is okay. If you're listening to this and that date has already passed, no worries. You can catch the replay because it will also be available for free. To register or get that replay, go to themodernmanager.com slash webinars. Now, today's guest is Krissa Zindros Boyce. Krissa has been a consultant, executive coach, and educator with Handle Group since 2009. Her clients, an international group of serial entrepreneurs, perennial corporate executives, and established individual contributors, hail from a broad range of sectors, including finance, legal, media, entertainment, fashion, technology, and government. Krista teaches her clients how to define their leadership brand, strengthen their competitive edge, and foster relationships that impact the bottom line. She helps them learn to navigate the corporate structures and promote themselves in an ever-competitive and evolving world. Krista and I talk about politicking. Yes, you heard that right. We talk about how you can build and leverage relationships at work to get what you want or need. And maybe not surprisingly, Krista teaches us how to do this without that yucky, slimy feeling that so often comes with the idea of playing the politics game. Now, here's the conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Thank you so much for being a guest today, Krista. I am really excited to talk to you because the topic we're going to start off on is something that I actually hate. So hopefully this will actually help me learn a little bit more because the topic is politicking in the office. Yes. It is a good topic and many people hate it. So you're not alone in that. Well, let's start with, okay, how do you describe or define politicking? Like what is politicking to you? Yeah. So politicking is building one-on-one relationships. It is just as simple as that. It is understanding what the people that you need to influence in your organization care about. And it is being able to speak to those cares and then being smart about how you go make your ask so that you can be influential and actually get what you want done in an organization. So that doesn't actually sound so bad, but I feel like when I think about politicking, that's maybe like the actualness of it, but it feels like it's done in this like yucky, I'm trying to get ahead kind of way. So how do you break those things apart? Yes. So usually what happens when we start to talk about politicking in any type of coaching work, whether it's one-on-one coaching or in team settings, I get the eye rolls. I get the, oh no, I don't want to you know, be like that or do that. That's disgusting. You have a very visceral reaction. And the truth is we have this visceral reaction because we've seen some people do politicking in very manipulative ways. And so the first thing that I tell my clients to do is that you have to actually create a new perspective around politicking. In coaching, for anyone who's ever done coaching, we teach people how to really poke holes at their thinking. And one of the types of thinking that we have are theories. 
theories are basically hypotheses, like if this, then that. Uh, they're not necessarily hard fact, but they're definitely something that guides our behavior. So many of us, when we think about politicking, we'll go, okay, if I go do that, then people are going to think I'm just selfish or out to get whatever I want. And with that particular thinking or perspective on politicking, it limits our ability to actually leverage politicking as a tool to be influential in our organization. And we all care about being influential in the organization. So the first thing I tell my clients is you have to change your definition or perspective on politicking. And it's important to actually go examine, okay, what's my initial thought when someone says politicking? Some people have the response of, that's not for me. Other people are like only, you know, conniving people do that. And yet still other people are like, I don't even know how to do that. And it kind of scares me. So it's important to actually sit with yourself and go, what do I actually think about it? And then figure out what would be the perspective shift that will allow you to use politicking as a tool to get you where you need to be in your organization. So, okay, I've made this mind shift now of it's not a bad thing, right? Really what we're talking about is just building healthy one-on-one relationships, understanding what the other person needs, and then figuring out how you can help them get what they need in a way that also helps you get what you need. Am I interpreting that right? You got it right on. Exactly. Okay. So let's say I'm like, all right, I am now on board with doing that. That does not sound yucky. That actually sounds really nice. And how do I do that? Yeah. So one of the things I want to stress is that many of us think about politicking as it being transactional. So I'm, I'm going to get something from you. The truth is that it's very much relational. It's about the relationship. And for anyone who's listening who works in marketing, my background is in marketing, so I often reference like marketing sort of like ideas and principles in my coaching, is that there's so this whole idea of give, 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 ask. Right? When you're trying to really convert a client, you really are offering them information, you're sharing content, you're, you're pushing them down your funnel, if you will. It's the same thing with politicking. You can't just go to someone and expect that they're going to give you something or support you in a cause or want to cheer you on in some way if you haven't invested the time for them to both know you first, like you, and then finally trust you enough to want to go give you what it is that you want. And again, what you want doesn't have to be so transactional. It could even just be support on a particular policy that you want to implement or an initiative that you want to start in your organization. So the very first thing is to be clear on who do you need to go have know you, who are those people in the organization, and oftentimes they are inclusive of people who you work directly with, so the people that you manage across to, your colleagues. Sometimes they're also people above you, so not only your boss, but also your boss's boss and the people who are influential in the organization that need to know who you are so that they can cheer you on. And if your boss does go to them with the proposal that you have, they have an understanding of who you are and sort of what you're about. And then lastly, also, and most people forget about this, the people that are beneath you, the people that either report into you or are below you in rank, because those people are the ones that are going to usually execute the work for you. So if they're not clear on who you are and they, and they don't really know what you're about and they don't like you, they're for sure not going to work really hard to push your agenda across and or execute it in a timely manner. So step one is identifying the people that need to know you 
and then figuring out how you can actually get them to know you. And there's a bunch of ways that people can go do that in an organization. And it includes things like being clear that I want to get to know these people and asking your boss for support on putting you in conversations or in meetings. It also requires a little bit of risk. For example, you might have to go stick your neck out and say, I'd love to do a one-on-one -on -one with you or a coffee or in this day and age, a Zoom cocktail, if you will, to get to know you a little bit and share some ideas. It requires being willing to build the relationship, but that's the first step. Who needs to know you? Well, first, I'm so glad that you talked about the people kind of across, up, and down because I feel like that's the place where a lot of people forget about the importance of those relationships. Like we think about them on the surface as like, I'm a manager, I have to care about my team, I need to get to know my team members. But reframing it around, it's not just because you're their boss that so you need to know them and it's not just like the right thing to do, but there's actually value that gets created for you and for them when you have an authentic relationship where there is that goodwill so that when you are bringing work or a policy or proposal into your team that's going to have to execute on it, they're on your side with it. So I'm really glad that you mentioned that because I think, at least for me, the way that I used to think about politicking until about five minutes ago was it's really about the people above you and trying to navigate and figure out like, how do you get what you want when you don't have the power and authority to get it there, to kind of do it on your own. And so you need to be maneuvering across the organization above you. But this broader definition around building relationships and creating influence and generating goodwill and support that is mutually beneficial, like works everywhere. It makes so much more sense. Yes. And then I want to just underscore something. So in order to politic effectively, you have to care about the other person's agenda. Like you really have to care because the truth is all human beings really just care about their own agendas. Like we really care about getting our needs met. That's a fundamental core desire of being a person and a very sort of like even primal level. So if you are bypassing what someone cares about and only going to what you care about, you're immediately going to hurt credibility and you're going to make the person second guess you and or doubt you because you're making it all about you. So in order to politic effectively, you have to actually, number one, understand what the person wants or cares about, what their desires are. How does your mission or your goals align with them and show that you care about it? You can't expect somebody else to care about what you want if you're not willing to care about them and their goals. So politicking really at the foundation of it all is making sure that you are showing goodwill, as, as you said, by being willing to champion somebody else's causes as you would want them to champion yours. So that's an important fundamental piece. Yeah. My husband calls it being a giver versus a taker. He always jokes that our relationship works really well because I'm a giver and he's the taker. And, you know, it's out, like that's exactly what we're talking about here is like you have to be a giver as much as you are a taker in the relationship. If not more, you have to be the giver, right? Exactly. And I'm, I'm chuckling because I tell my husband, the same thing. I'm like, you're such a taker, <laughs> such a giver. <laughs> this is why this works out. Yes, exactly. You have to be willing to go give. Otherwise, you know, it doesn't work. And it really is a law of reciprocity, right? When you're giving to people, they're more likely to give back to you. In fact, there's like studies about how when someone gives you something nice or does something nice for you, you almost want to one-up it and go back and show your gratitude for their kindness. So investing in 
practices in your own day-to-day work about being giving and collaborative and welcoming and supportive helps you build up your reputation within the organization. And that's really what politicking is about. People knowing what you care about and knowing that you're going to care about their causes too. Can you give us just a couple of brief examples of things that you can do to show that you care, to get to know people or to have them get to know you? Like maybe just one or two really practical recommendations. Yeah, so I'll, I'll give a story actually from my own life. So a long time ago, I was working in retail and I did marketing, branding, and consumer experience for retail companies. And I managed many different brands. And the bigger brands always got the most attention, but the smaller brands, you know, usually they got like five minutes of my time. But what the truth was is that the smaller brands actually did a lot of volume. And one of the things that I took the time to do is build relationships with the leaders of their small brands. And even though they didn't make a lot of noise, they didn't need a lot of my attention, and they weren't the sexier brands, I made it an effort that once or twice a week, I would pop by the president's office and just to say hello and give him an update on how things were going. And it was very nonchalant, easy, and it really was just about showing my face and getting him to know what was happening and to just have him have the opportunity to share anything he wanted to share. And I did this with uh, many people that were senior leaders on these brands that weren't, again, like the ones that took most of my attention. And at the end of the day, I was working for this, this company. It was a big conglomerate, and they ended up being sold off for pieces. And when the company was sold off, mostly all of my colleagues were laid off, except for me and somebody else who worked in finance. And the reason why we didn't get laid off is because it's president that we had been spending time building relationships with, came to us and said, I knew it was happening. I adore you guys. You will always have a job with me. And it really was because for about like 10 years, I would stop by his office almost on a weekly basis and chat and share and give him time and connect with him. And he knew me. And it took no time out of my day, aside from being willing to make the effort. And so that story, while it's a very kind of, I, you know, special story. I don't, I don't expect this to happen to many people. And I'm very lucky that that happened to me. While it's a special story, the truth is that I built a relationship that had nothing to do with me getting anything out of it. It had to do all with just making sure that he was taken care of and that he knew who I was in case he needed something. And it ended up reaping so many benefits on the other side. So the first very practical step I can tell people to take on is in your calendars every single week. Make it a point to go connect with people, whether it's a phone call, popping by their office, a Zoom meeting, a text message, make it a point to just be on top of people's mind for the pure reason that you just want to make sure that they know that you care about them and are thinking about them. That alone will help boost your ability to politic and cause results within your organization. I love that story and I love that suggestion. And as someone who... I really like personality type stuff. And I know that for feelers versus thinkers, we talk about Myers-Briggs, for thinkers, that is not an easy or obvious activity. Like it sounds so simple, but it's not easier top of mind for us to do. And for feelers, that is so valuable to feel like someone is just stopping by, not to ask you for anything about work, not to make a whole big thing, but just to like say, hey, came by to see how you're doing or just wanted to check in that it, it's so positive. So I love that suggestion. 
right. You're totally right. The thinkers would not think to go do that because in thinking, it's a very much cost benefit analysis sort of approach. Like what's the value of this? What's the point of this? What am I, like, what's the ROI on it? It's usually how thinkers tend to make decisions versus feelers. It's more about collaboration and connection. But here's the truth. Relationships have two sides. There is the responsibility side of the relationship and every relationship, friends, your spouse, your boss, your direct report, this is true for all of them. There's a the responsibility side. Essentially, what are you responsible for in the relationship? With friends, for example, you're responsible for replying to their text messages, going to birthday parties, you know, hanging out with them, like that's part of the responsibility, showing up. So there's a the responsibility side, which includes sort of like your, your roles, uh, expectations, but then also do you deliver on these things? And how well do you communicate what you're doing and where you stand? That's the responsibility side. On the other side of the equation, there is the rapport side. And the rapport side is all about how you feel about someone. Do you like them? Do you respect them? Do you vibe with them? Do you trust them? And what's true is every relationship has to have these two things in equilibrium for the relationship to be successful. If they are off in any way, the relationship doesn't work. So what happens is that sometimes we have a relationship with someone and many people have had this experience. You adore the person. You would be friends with them outside of work. They are like somebody you love to chat with. But even though the rapport is high, the responsibility is low. They kind of blow off their work. They're not always timely. They kind of fail at their deliverables. And so even though you adore them, they just don't do their job well. So you don't really trust them to give them the project as the lead or to promote them in some way. So the, because the responsibility side is somewhat off, it's not in equilibrium with how much you like them, they're not going to be as successful with you because something in the back of your mind is like, I don't know if they're really going to deliver, even though you adore them. And then we have the other way this can look, which is we all have had people that do their job, that are amazing, that deliver, that are on it, and then they're kind of jokes. And you're like, I wish you would just mess up your job so I can find a way to fire you because you're kind of a jerk. And what's true is they overperform, but they don't spend any time in really building the rapport with people. They focus way too much on their ability to kind of meet the job expectation. For every human listening, both of these things have to be in equilibrium. So if you're someone who tends to focus more on just getting my job done or somebody who tends to focus more on you know, get, having good relationships and making connections, you have to make sure that you're also investing on the side that you don't pay attention to because that's where it's gonna hurt you from a political standpoint. There has to be the equilibrium. It would have never worked if I stopped by that office of that president and then didn't deliver for him and then was late with responding to emails or didn't get him what he needed or didn't fight for budgeting or whatever. It never would have worked. But because that was an equilibrium, I was able to build a strong relationship. So everyone listening, I like to tell my clients, do an inventory. Look at your relationships at work. See, okay, identify who do you have good rapport with. Okay, great. And identify where are you the most responsible? Where are you like meeting the mark on your job? And if there's anything off, go to work on that. Create the right practices and behaviors for yourself to make sure that each relationship has that balance. That I feel like you just blew my mind. That's so insightful. And I love the way you talked about that these two things have to be in balance and it makes politicking not feel like a nice to have, but like a must have, right? If you're thinking about what good performance really looks like, 
is being both delivering on your work and having strong relationships. Absolutely. You nailed it. All right. So what else should we know about how to politic or why it's valuable or any of that stuff? So I want to bring it back to what we were speaking about before we started this interview, which had to do with like who listens to this podcast. And one of the things that I find is really important for all levels of leadership that I coach, whether it's a new manager starting out or somebody at the very tippity top of their career, is that there's a complete difference between managing and leading. Managers care about process and operations and how to get things done. Leaders care about people. And when you're in a function in a job where you have to go manage and lead, so you have a dual role, it's important to invest time on both sides. And so for the purposes of this conversation, I'm going to speak about leadership because politicking really does fall on leadership because it's about caring about people, not caring about process. And the most important fundamental attribute is that leaders who successfully lead teams, they know how to coalesce and they know how to get people excited behind a vision. And the reason why they know that or why they can do that is because they care about the we. And the we is the collective. It has nothing to do with you and what you care about and what you want. It has to all do with what makes the most sense for the people that you're leading. And oftentimes, what makes the most sense for the people that you're leading goes against what you care about, goes against what you want. I'll, I'll give a quick example here. When I was working in retail again, I had a team underneath me. And I can be a little bit of a perfectionist. And I really love to obsess over PowerPoints. It's one of my favorite things to do. And what color, what font we should use, I can spend hours. And what was true is that my nitpickiness, while valuable in many ways, had nothing to do with the we. In fact, it actually caused the we a lot of problems. It caused them to work longer. It caused them to be annoyed. They felt like they could never please me. And actually the opposite reaction for the team, which is what I didn't want, which is that they stopped trying because they were never going to get a good job for me. And so one of the things I had to learn to do is even though I desperately want to nitpick, I desperately want to redo the PowerPoint 16 times over, I really do want to change this and have the team stay for an extra hour to get it just right or perfect, no matter what the project might be, I had to be able to let that go and learn how to be in service of the we, which meant I, I had to figure out how to maintain my standard and then still care about my people's time, care about their input, and care about things being okay for them, even though maybe I wanted it to look a little different. So every leader has some level of what part of your I do you have to set aside in order to lead the we. And that's one of the things that I want to leave people with because in politicking, it's this exact conversation. What part of your eye? So what part of what you want do you have to set aside in order to help people get what they want and care more about the we than you care about yourself? What a great story and example of it. I it like brings to mind the same conversation I was having with one of my clients recently about when you are a leadership team, sometimes you have to make decisions that are best for the whole organization or like all the different departments that you as a, as a series of leaders are coming together to support that doesn't feel so good for you as an individual leader, right? Like you have to give up power or you have to, whatever it is, like you have to put aside what feels best and is 
aligned with what you want, with what is going to feel best and is aligned with what everyone needs and what the whole organization or the whole team needs. So separating those two things out, it's not easy for people. Do you have any tips on how people can more easily see where their I is in conflict with the we or what they can do about it when they, when they figure that out? That's a really good question. There's a couple of different exercises I give clients. The first exercise is to get clear on your dream for your leadership, like really actually getting clear for how do you want people to view you? What is the reputation that you want to have? What are the causes that you want to support? And writing it down, like going to the exercise of writing it down, getting the clarity, and then looking at that dream and going, okay, well, what's the current reality? How do I rate myself up against this? Am I doing these things? And where there's a gap, what's required is a new behavior or a new action to take on to help close that gap. So that's where I would start for most people is just getting clear on all of it and looking at the current reality. The other thing that I would say is that we kind of know, like, I know I'm a perfectionist. I know I can be a pain about nitpicky things. I also know that I can be rather defensive when someone comes to me with feedback or they want to ask. So I know that there are these places where I get triggered. And for the people listening who've done any personality work, you mentioned Myers-Briggs earlier or DISC profiles or even just assessing their own personality or if you've been lucky enough to have 360 on your performance review then you know the things that get in the way for you. If you haven't done that yet, absolutely go find out what parts of your personality might get in the way because where your personality gets triggered and you go into one of the downsides of your personality, in coaching we call it your negative personality traits, if you start to go into that place, you're all about the I. What's true for human beings is when we get scared or triggered, the first thing we do is self-preserve, which is just take care of our needs first. Once we take care of our own needs, then we can take care of the people around us that we care about, and then we can take care of the the greater whole. It's almost like if the house is burning, right? The first thing you would do is get yourself out of the fire and then like grab your kids. You first me, then the kids, right? It's the same philosophy or sort of approach when it happens at work, when somebody has an opposing point of view or you really want something to go a certain way. The minute you get triggered, the first place we're all going to go to is self-preserving. So identify what traits, whether you're going to take a test or do a 360, will get in the way and then start to work on them, understanding your triggers and then putting in place things that can mitigate the triggers. So those two things, getting clear on the vision and then comparing yourself to where you are today, figuring out what actions or behaviors you have to put in place. And then on a deeper level, understanding your personality so that you know what you need to put in place to mitigate where you will get triggered and definitely go into the eye. This is a great place for us to to start to wrap up. So can you tell us about a great manager that you worked for and what made this person so fantastic? Yeah, I've actually had some really good managers. This is a little bit of a hard question to answer, but I, I will share something from very, very early on, like college. And for anybody who knows me, the fact that I worked for an insurance company is hysterical. I should have never had that job. But I did work for an insurance company through college, and I did various work from like admin work to some actual insurance work. And I had a boss, and he was one of the top-rated insurance brokers in the company. And every year, year after year, he like blew his numbers out of the water. People loved him, and he just was amazing at what he did. 
And I was actually there to facilitate the transfer of his business to another agent. And one day we were working a little late in the office and he was going out to meet a client and he was like, Hey, do you know why I make all this money and why, you know, people want to work with me? And I was like, I don't know. I was 18. I had no idea why this man is talking to me. I'm just like, I don't know. And he's like, I'm not the smartest. I'm not the best looking. I'm not even the coolest. And he's like, but you know what? I send them birthday cards. And I remember as like an 18 year old going like, okay, <laughs> I don't know what that means. But then later had gone back to that conversation plenty of times. And what he was speaking to is exactly what we've been talking to. He really, from a competitive edge standpoint, there were plenty of smarter agents. There were plenty of cooler, younger, hipper, better looking agents. He really did spend the time to remember his people and take care of them. And he really did send birthday cards by hand for every client. And he did go to all the birthday parties and all the golf outings. And he spent a lot of time investing and in being there for people and having a good time with them so that when people thought about him, they were connected to the fact that he's somebody who shows up who I can have a good time with, who will listen to me, who, who will relate to me. And that lesson stuck with me. And I've used that when I'm going into an organization to make sure that I really am caring about people and making it about people versus about my own agenda. Oh, I love that story. And it's such a nice reflection on everything we've been talking about. So thank you for, for leaving us with that. So where can people learn more about you, Krissa, and your work and keep up with what you're up to? Okay, so for anybody who's interested in coaching or wants to know more about Handel Group, you can go to Handel Group website. If you type in my name in the little search button, you will see a bunch of things that I'm doing, including free coaching offerings, community coaching calls, other podcasts, blogs, and even work that I'm doing with our diversity and inclusion team. So there's a lot of cool stuff happening in regards to supporting companies and cultures in having more diverse and inclusive environments. So there's all of that there. You can also find me on LinkedIn at Krista's Interest Voice. There I post other kinds of things that I do, including a lot of speaking on women's empowerment and work around getting women into leadership. So that stuff gets posted usually on LinkedIn. And if anyone is interested in coaching, the one thing I will say is that it's really important for leaders to have a board of advisors. And I didn't know this early on in my career. I wish I did, or else I probably would have been in a better position. I have struggled as much. But having your own personal board of advisors is important. And that's inclusive of mentors, bosses, or ex-bosses that you can still go to, and friends that are really kicking it in their career. But also it's important to have somebody like a coach on your team that can help you navigate the various obstacles that you might run up against. And so for anyone who doesn't have a coach or is interested in getting a coach, what's true is that usually there's a barrier to entry. And so one of the things that we, we've created as a company is this program called Inner You, where you have access to what a coach would basically teach you. And it's a 12 course, it's a 12 audio course, I should say, digital program where essentially you get everything you get in an executive coaching program. So if anyone's interested in that, it's learner-led, but super effective. And that's called interview career. The career part is important because we have different products. The career piece really teaches you about how to navigate your career. So I would recommend that for anyone listening. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom and for those recommendations at the end. Really appreciate it. Thank you. This has been such a good conversation. I had so much fun chatting with you. If you want to hear more from Krista, 
I actually have a second interview with her on the power of one, which is super helpful when thinking about how we enter these relationship conversations. That bonus interview is available to members of the Modern Manager community. To become a member, go to themodernmanager.com join. And when you become a member, you get access to dozens of other guest bonuses and nearly 50 episode guides. Also, while you're there on the website, don't forget to register for the upcoming webinar with Sweet Process at themodernmanager.com slash webinars. All the links are in the show notes and they are in your inbox if you are a subscriber to my newsletter, which of course you can subscribe at themodernmanager.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit Meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player, and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.